Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Mike. That's what we do. That's what we do. Don't die. Stop dying. But there's people not adhering to our podcast rule. Yeah. And Chuck's at karate, but I want—I really wanted to talk about. It. We just got the what a day today was. So this morning, because I—I kind of uh, I should start over. So, so when you work in treatment, you come across and you cross paths with almost everyone that has a drug problem or mental health issue when you've been doing it for twenty-six years, like me. So I saw on my phone this morning when I was at Home Depot, I believe that Lisa Marie Presley had was non-responsive at her Calabasas home. And my heart just sank. It just sank. And her son just for you know killed himself two years ago. And and I had I had known him and 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 I just like uh, and you know and and just for everyone, I don't know whether what the cause of death was, but could have been broken heart, could have been like your kid dies. It's just like, so this, we joke a lot of this podcast about don't die, but, but, uh, you know, about death and whatever, but, but so many people are dying. Like you can't even remember how many. And just the day as the day unfolded, she was at the hospital, she was on a ventilator, she was in critical condition. And then a couple hours ago, she passed away. And just like, it's just like my whole life I grew up with Lisa Marie Presley. It's just fucking crazy. What what hospital did she go to that like when she was she taken to uh, Calabasas out there or whatever? You know. There's hospitals. There's hospitals in the valley. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I mean, but, but not some big fancy place. Yeah, there's I don't, I don't know, but but the thing is, there's so much sadness in the world, and we're all just turning a blind eye to it. There's so much ill, just there's so much illness in America. It's so much. And, and the initiating this podcast was I, I'm on the front line. I started to see it. I started to see kids on Tuesday being my group, and I'd be joking around with them, and then they'd be dead the next Tuesday. And that's when I started saying, don't die to kids. And then, um, yeah. You know, and then her son, like, ah, it's just like, it's a, it's just so sad. And this is not just one family. This is, you know, 50,000 families every year. And, and how to live on if your kid kills himself, how do you live on? And just so sad. And she talked a lot about grief the last couple you know since her son since she could start talking about it it's just so much and i've met so many moms and so many kids whose friends have died and and we just need to do something in this country this whole thing of worrying about the fucking stock market and gas prices is so unimportant so unimportant compared to being loving and kind to each other trying to you know, find a good balance between 
loving someone and, and holding them accountable. All this shit that we never talk about. We talk about gas prices and we talk about inflation and we talk about Trump and we talk about all this fucking nonsense. It doesn't have anything to do with our families or our lives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I did a family consult with a, a really good friend of mine that I've known for 38 years on Saturday. And I don't want to disclose too much, but the word suicide, I realized when, when this word came up in the session, it's worse than the N word. Like people don't want to talk about suicide. They don't want to even, they don't even want to acknowledge that it exists. And, and until we start talking as a people and talking to our friends about depression, about about drug use, about the inability to get sober or what is sober anymore, until we can start to accept that this is a profound problem in our society. Our society is broken. Paying attention to the, the, the idiocracy of it, like inflation, like, like I talked to, you know, probably thousands of people throughout a month and everybody talks about gas prices six months ago or a year ago. That's all anybody's talked about. And then I got assholes that talk about golf. They talk about golf. Their kids are on drugs and they talk about golf. Mm. We are the most distracted, sick society in world history. And we're talking about golf and we're talking about gas prices and we're talking about inflation and we're talking about Trump and we're talking rehashing January 6th over and over again for fucking years. And our kids are killing themselves. Our kids are killing each other. The other day, a six-year-old shot her teacher in fucking Virginia. That's a six-year-old. Yeah. And nobody seems to stop and say, what the fuck is going on? Instead, we talk about this nonsense about Twitter and Elon Musk and all this fucking meaningless bullshit. And it's so sad. This, this woman that I know fucking died today and her kid killed himself two months, two years ago. Yeah. That's cool. And her dad died of a drug at, of a drug overdose. And they're not the only family in America going through this. People listening on this podcast are going through this and you're ashamed of, your, of talking about it. You're ashamed of what's happening. Like you're a bad person for it happening. Your kid being on drugs, your kid being suicidal, your kid being depressed, your kid failing to launch. You're ashamed of it. And the shame is what leads to the suicide. And I talked to this family over the weekend and they it's so hard to talk about your own child thinking about killing themselves. Yeah. I've dealt with it with my kid. I've dealt with it. I dealt with it with myself. And, you know, Mike, back in the day, you were, you were not shy about saying you didn't care whether you lived or died. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were I mean, not shy about it. And, and you really did live on the razor's edge of life, probably for 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I think the drugs, you know, pretty much make you completely insensitive to anything around you and anything that's going on that's reality that you possibly could die and even in my sobriety i find like that 
well, I don't believe that I could die. You know, I don't, you've talked about this too. I don't really believe I could die. You know, like, well, like I probably won't believe it. Until <laughs> I, I did. Actually, I believed you could. <laughs> actually, you know, believe I'll die when I'm like taking my last breath. I'll be like, oh shit, I'm dying, you know, or something. It's like, it, it's, I, you know, right. so microcosm, it's a microcosm of drug addiction. But here's the thing I wish we started doing, which I try to do, is um, see when, when, Crisis happen in our friends in our friends' families. Sometimes, you know, the dads will confide in me, and then it seems to calm down, or it goes, you know, it goes however it goes. Yeah. And nobody ever talks about it again. And then when I see that person, I always try to say, "How is so and so doing?" And you see this look on their face of like, "I really don't want to talk about that right now. I'd rather talk about." golf <laughs> you know what i mean wow. and we got to break through that, that to our friends to our neighbors to the to our uh, co-parents at school how is your kid doing how is your wife doing how is your husband doing how are people doing sincerely caring about just the people around us like i saw probably five six parents that i know it's pick up uh, pick up today i i um I did two groups yesterday, so I saw about eight or ten people out in Malibu, about twenty in in West LA. I saw staff, and I try to be present and ask how people are really doing. And I and I, it's it's not that I'm some angel. I'm just purposely purposefully doing that. And I realize that so few people do that in society. That the people you ask, how are you doing? How's it going? How, hey, you moved into a new place a couple months ago. Do you like it? Hey, you had a breakup the other day. Hey, so-and-so, you know, our one of our intake people died of a drug overdose a couple of weeks ago. Did you know that, Mike? No, I didn't. One of our intake people at the rehab. Yeah. And so I kept asking staff, hey, how's it, how are you doing? And this one woman who had taken over kind of that woman's responsibilities a little bit, I said, how's it going? And, um, and people aren't, people... We're just so closed off. I don't know if COVID really shut the door on us as a as a people to talk to each other about real things instead of about you know uh, you know and not just nothingness shit. Like you know, I don't even notice uh, what gas prices yeah. are when they were six dollars. I noticed, I think, but I think I got gas today and it was like four sixty nine. Who cares if it's if it's four sixty nine or six twenty nine? That's a dollar eighty difference, right? So I get 10 gallons. So it's $18 difference. Is that really the thing I want to talk about all fucking week that I had to pay 18 more dollars for gas this week? Or do I want to talk about my friend's son who threatened to kill himself last week? Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, but we just gloss over it. We, and I know, you know, friends of mine all different levels even a friend of mine had a baby i checked in with him like how's it going because you know everybody it's weird like all the events of life like having a baby sometimes it's a real overwhelming bummer <laughs> you know what i mean and everyone's telling you what a joy it is <laughs> it's <laughs> like, a lot of work man it's a lot of fucking work and it's a lot of moodiness and it's a lot of change in your life and and you know, there's a lot of joy, but there's also a lot of like, you know, a lot of feelings. And 
And I know what it feels like to have everybody telling you, oh, it's so, you must be so happy. And you're not happy. You didn't sleep for two days and uh, you're overwhelmed. Yeah, and your, your wife's not talking to you because yeah, she's got right. postpartum. And you're like, yeah, it's great. Everything's great. And yeah. I think that we're, we as an American society, I think it's America in particular, we've become so that way to not talk about anything important and always talk about things in the Twitterverse or Elon Musk, or did you hear, or sports, or or this, and not talk about anything important. And the only time we talk about our kids in particular is is when they do well. And so we're a you know oh so and so got accepted to you know a friend of mine called me and said her daughter got accepted to this college near my house, and I was like, great, how's she doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know because because it's hard it's hard to be 20 years old in this society it's hard to be it's hard to be it's just hard to be right now and i and it didn't used to be this way not even five years ago i don't think it was like this certainly statistically suicide wasn't the leading cause of death of young white males five years ago it was not so there's a quantifiable evidence-based thing Suicide was not as prominent or, or prevalent as it is now five years ago. So something changed. So when your kid says he's going to kill himself, he might do it. Yeah. Right. And or that they're having thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and, just the fact that they're having thoughts, you know? Yeah. And I got to say, I rarely dealt with a suicidal person who didn't have addiction i i'm just gonna say that i know i'll get crucified by by a lot of people but in my experience it's always that there's a there's a co-occurring disorder which is substance use disorder almost always and whether that but what's even more heartbreaking is when it it, it occurs and it's because of some real menial thing like bullying or somebody at school or not being accepted or being made fun of or something like that and they just go into a deep spiral and they think they have no friends and then they kill themselves i mean something as meaningless as that it just that whole period of time you know where they need that acceptance and their uh, of their friends that's crazy yeah and they well they well that you need connection it might not be with your peers like you know uh uh sydney had a play date on I forget what day says last week. But I think what but, I'm saying is that if it's something, if there's a warning sign, if somebody says like, yeah, I'm feeling about, I'm feeling suicidal because of this menial thing, you know, that has to be taken seriously now. Yeah. But, but it's not because you're just put into a, you know, if you're lucky enough to get care, which seven out of 10 probably don't qualify to get, uh, 72 hour hold because really i was the assessor for for like the suicide questions are um you know the, you know do you do you have a plan do you have access to a plan um on a scale of one to ten how 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 determined are you to carry out this plan all this kind of stuff and so then if they meet criteria to be held against their will for 72 hour observation Anybody who's been in a locked unit, which I've been in one as a patient, I've been in one as a clinician thousands of times. And anyone who gets in there who's not 
schizophrenic or schizoid or just completely out of their minds or in meth psychosis or whatever, the immediate thing you do when you realize you're in there is I got to get out of here. Yeah. So you're going to cover up what's really going on with you just to comply with the, with the lockdown unit at a psych hospital, whether it's all of you or, or aliens and cedars or, or lost and seen where I worked. You're just going to do everything you can to get the fuck out of there in 72 hours, yeah. right? And so nothing is really ever truly addressed. And most people don't want to hear about that. Like nothing's addressed. The person's like not, you know, not certifiably crazy like, you know, the homeless schizophrenics that are in there. And so as soon as you realize where you are, you want to get out of there. So when they say, yeah. So when they say, how are you feeling the next morning? You say, fine, I'm fine. feeling so much better. I'm I, just, so I don't know what I was, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Let me out. I'm fine. I'm not crazy. These people are yeah. crazy. I'm not crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was in a locked unit one time and, uh, and, uh, and I realized like, I'm not crazy. I'm, there's something wrong with me, but it's not what's wrong with some of the people in here. And there was a guy <laughs> who refused to take his meds. And, uh, and we heard this commotion, like at men, you never even know what time it is in there. It's, it was like, it was in the uh, middle of the night. So crazy. it was like between midnight and 6am. And this guy was sitting in the middle of the day room naked and he had pooped him on the floor and he was picking it up and throwing it saying, I'm a baby boy. I'm a baby boy. Like, Look at me, I'm a baby uh, boy. <laughs> and, and there was, and the nurses uh, are not supposed to have to deal with that. There's things called mental health technicians that are like big kind of guys, like, like what you cliche in a movie. They're kind of big, stocky, tough guys. They come and, and throw a bag over near, your head. They don't want to go near the baby boy. <laughs> they throw a bag over your head and a rope around your feet. And drag you out. <laughs> They did not want to go near the baby boy with his not hands big, full of poop. Not the poop, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so there was this double doors that led into the day room. And we were all the clients. We were all crowded around trying to see in. And the nurse was standing there telling the techs what to do. And they were just inside the door, like, staring away from the baby boy. Watch out. Like, nobody poop. wanted to deal with him. Until he had no more poop left to throw. Oh my God. <laughs> but I'll never forget it. He's like, I'm a baby boy. I'm a, and he just kept saying it over and over again. I'm a baby boy. I'm a baby boy. And then you're like, you know what? I just had I'm not like thoughts. these people. I like may want to kill them. Here's what I here's what I said. I may want to kill myself, but I'm not like throwing my poop. I'm not a baby boy. <laughs> It's crazy. Oh my God. That was at CPC Westwood on Bundy and Olympic. Oh, yeah. And uh, Buddy Arnold, Buddy Arnold worked there and got me out of there. Got me released to the uh, drug and alcohol treatment unit. God bless. But um, but I just feel like there's just certain things, certain deaths, certain tragedies that you hear. Just like I didn't cry today but well, how do you just, think she died of a she was 54 years old how could she have a cardiac arrest without i mean i'm sorry but how could she have a cardiac arrest with not drugs being involved it seems kind well, of well i don't even trust i don't even trust that that here's the thing 
uh, and this argument with Bam, uh, whatever, from Jackass. So uh, you can be prescribed really dangerous drugs. So they're not going to say you died of a prescribed dangerous drug, you know, a benzo or opioids or whatever. So, I mean, we're never going to know probably, but it's just, it's just tragic. It's just so sad. And I, I lived through her son's, I lived through her son's suicide. I remember the day I heard about it. I was just like, Oh my God, those two women, her mom and her, like those two women, her mom, her mom's just been through crazy. It's crazy, but, but it also is going on in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and rural uh, Arizona. And it's going on all over to non-celebrity families. And it's going on all over to middle-class families, Republican families, Democrats, families. It's going on in Antifa. It's going on in, in well, and Jeff Beck died, and yeah, Jeff Beck got bacterial meningitis, which I had as a kid. You don't, you don't usually die of that. Like, how well, did no, he die? Vi- there's viral meningitis that you probably. I had spinal meningitis. Yeah, there's three kinds. There's bacterial, which is deadly. There's viral, and there's um, spinal, which is most kids get. Yeah, I had spinal meningitis. Ugh. And they told me I almost died, but I, you know, I didn't getting a spinal tap two times made me feel like I was going to die. Right. Oh and I never, no, ever back then that was probably, I was like, I was living in the desert. I was in probably fifth grade. So how old are you in fifth Holy grade? Like shit. 11. So I got it. And then I was in John F. Kennedy hospital in Indio and my sister was a nurse and there she realized like they don't have a fucking clue what's going on with him so she i remember she took me jane my oldest sister took me in her volkswagen uh, uh van from indio to loma linda hospital in uh redlands and i remember i was on a pillow on the floor of her van just in a fetal position just fucking dying it felt like oh and um and then uh, Loma Linda, I was, I don't know how long I was in there for, but I know I remember that I got two spinal taps and the, the, why it's so traumatizing is you don't know what the first spinal, spinal tap is like, right? They just, they just hold you in this position and then they put this cold stuff on your spine and then they stick this needle that is probably four inches long and it's really bludgeoning through your uh discs in your back into your spinal column and suck out the fluid to see how much infection how much infection is in there it was a movie or something no and that's why when they had that because i've had spinal taps when they had the name that band that i was like that's not funny they should have picked that's not a good name name. (laughs) (laughs) that's not a good name but but when (laughs) they told me like a weekend that i was gonna have to have a second spinal tap like i lost my mind I, I was like, because I had to check if the infection was getting better in my spine. And I, I was begging my mom, like, don't, I'm better. I'm better. We don't need to do a spinal tap to find out. But they had to. And it was, fuck, this, the anticipation of it was fucking unbelievable. 
So, oh, so I had, I had meningitis. So bacterial, the thing he had is worse. Where, where does it go in your lungs? You know, I have, it's your sinuses or something. It's, it's a sinus infection that turns into a meningitis for some reason. I, I mean, he just played was, a concert like two weeks ago. Oh my God. He was just rocking. I put up, I saw him two months ago and he was just amazing. He was amazing. I saw him at the Anaheim Grove. I worked the show, and so I stayed and watched it. And Did Johnny Depp play with him? Oh, Johnny Depp. Yeah, but he cannot sing. He played. Johnny Depp played in Anaheim at the Grove. Yeah. Oh, you're kidding me. No. How come no. you didn't tell me? I would have gone. No, it was. Um, it was, was it outside in the parking no, lot? It the bigger. Inside. It was inside. How big is that place? Uh, holds a couple thousand people, maybe. It does. Oh, yeah, I it's it kind of like more, more like a dinner theater. I mean, it was sold out. You know, it was good. Yeah, I saw I saw the uh, Peanuts Christmas play there a couple years ago. It's the one that's in the parking lot of Johnny the Depp must know that he can't sing very well, right? Is that, I mean, I'm not well, like, hurting I mean, anybody's feelings, am I? Well, the original band he was in, the Kids, this other guy, John, sang. He was not the singer of the band that, you know, that he came out here to L.A. Oh. But then as soon as he was out here, he was like a singer. Yeah, he used to sing in P. He used to sing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, cause, but he tries to sing plays, like. He, he plays guitar but, fine. Yeah, he is a great guitar player. And I told him that. You know that, uh, you know, uh, he didn't ever want to be a musician and we tried to get him to be in the bicycle thief because he loved the bicycle thief and <laughs> i said just make up a name and you know you don't have to like just you know you know don't wear all the stuff and just a baseball cap and a t-shirt <laughs> like i i always kept telling him like you don't have to go out with all those chains and all that shit you like just get a baseball cap and a oh, t-shirt like scarves on yeah all kinds <laughs> of stuff hanging up I mean, yeah man, i don't know but so so but he is a really good guitar player and and he wouldn't do it because there's so many bad actors that are musicians he never wanted to do it <laughs> like, uh, in his prime life are you talking huh? Reed? <laughs> i'm not gonna name names <laughs> he plays no what, okay. you could you could go on and on with the actors who are musicians what about right. don johnson what about uh, <laughs> what about Bruno? What about uh, Bruce Willis? Bruce Willis had Bruce a band. <laughs> what about the guy on uh, you know on the on the Baywatch? Uh, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Oh, David Hasselhoff. David yeah, Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff. Kevin Bacon. I mean, come on, the list is endless of musicians <laughs> uh, of uh, actors that try to be musicians, and there's never been a David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> name one actor that's a musician that you go fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so johnny was always like conscious like yeah i don't like i don't want to i don't want to i said but you're so good at it so let's figure out a way to make it we'll make up a name for you people will know it's you but we'll play this game like you know and i was like make up a name like muddy joe smith and and you know, wear a hat. <laughs> That's <a> good one. <laughs> Muddy Joe Smith, right? He should have been Muddy. He could have been Muddy Joe Smith. <laughs> Muddy <You know>? Joe <laughs> Smith. <laughs> right? No, we went. I, I went over to his house one time and we played all the Bicycle Thief songs. He knew them all. And it was crazy. He's a really good guitar player. But yeah, yeah singing. Good. I mean, 
he just only does heroes. I saw him one time. He just sings heroes and he sings it like David Bowie, right? I don't, he sang a few songs with this Jeff Beck thing, and I was wasn't that impressed. I mean, you know, it just was a little flat and stuff like that. But he probably knows that. He's, I'm not, you know, burning him. I, no, I, I, I mean, like there's, you know, singing. I don't know. Uh, the, the, my newest thing is these new bands. They don't really sing. They just like talk sing. Uh, it's like talking hip hop talk singing. Mm. Right. Even even Beck, who kind of invented the modern sound of music, he sang, I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you kill me? They're singing in those songs. But nowadays, all these new songs are just taught that like Elvis loves all these bands like Boy with Uke. Um, I forget the other names. This other one, Royal Breus Blood or something. This girl, this woman. Uh and there's like, oh fuck! He listens to shit all the time, and um, and they all talk sing. Yeah, I mean, doesn't your daughter listen to like talk singers? No, she talks. She listens to songwriters. I don't know. She's different, man. She listens to uh, like Declan McManus yeah, and all that. Declan McKenna. Declan and, McKenna. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it's Bjork. She loves Bjork. Oh, Bjork's playing Coachella. Yeah, I know. We're going to try and hit up our friend to go. All right. So that, yeah, Coachella got announced. That's quite quite a thing. Uh, you know. The gorillas. gorillas. Gorillas and Bjork could headline. And they're like, they're like right before the headline. I mean, that's pretty stacked. You know, Coachella yeah, is I've the greatest. Even heard of you know, I'm yet. so tired of uh, like people our age saying, like saying, "Oh, Coachella doesn't have any rock bands." W what rock bands would you have play, dude? The first like, rock Bobby. music, rock music has let the world down. After Radiohead and White Stripes, what rock bands came along? I mean, you know, or, you know somebody said on a Reddit thing about Coachella, "How come Pearl Jam's not playing?" It's like Pearl Jam shouldn't have to be playing. There should have been two new Pearl Jams, but there isn't because nobody forms a rock band that's any good. That Greta Van Vliet or whatever the fuck, have you seen them? Yeah, I'm not that impressed with them. Yeah, it's just like rock. For some reason, that Radiohead, White Stripes, Coldplay, that era of bands that came up in like 96, 97, 98, they didn't inspire another generation of rock bands. So there are none. There's no rock bands. There's turnstiles. There's like the garden. The garden is great, man. I've got to tell you, the garden and um, you but know. you got to get over. You can't just be like Mike Mart saying something's great. You got to get uh, over. Like the, like right. Pearl Jam got over. Like Smashing Pumpkins got over. Like Jane's Addiction got over. Like Chili Peppers got over. You got to get over to the masses. You can't just say, "Oh yeah, it's stacked against us." Pearl Jam didn't say that. The Chili Peppers didn't say that. You just keep making records and keep touring and keep playing. But these uh, bands don't do. There's no bands. So when Coachella embraces what young people are listening to, which is K-pop and Bad Bunny and and you know Skrillex and and uh, and Bjork and whatever. Like here's the thing, it it's the it's the millennials musicians' fault. 
They didn't form great bands and then stick with it like the Chili Peppers did. You know, Mike, you and I were around. The Chili Peppers were nothing for four albums. It was amazing they got to keep making records. I mean, you know I what think, I mean? I think that uh, that America's Got Talent, The Voice, and all that stuff has pretty much put a big dent in that whole thing. You have to try and get on one of those TV shows to become that whole new generation. But then you're a singer. Maybe there should be a band. Maybe should, there should be a band. America's most talented or whatever. A band yeah. one. Seriously. Just call it America's If, that's, if that's why there's so many solo artists and no bands, maybe there needs to be a band one. Yeah. I'm going to think about that. That might yeah. be the future. But getting back to this <laughs> death stuff, I don't want to get too far off track. Uh, rest in peace, Lisa Marie. I, I just can't even fathom yeah, what that album, that album she did with called uh, to whom it may concern was so fucking good so man. good I to it over and over and over until i could so good it, it was really good scene. it was really produced soulful. by the top guys at capital it was engineered perfectly it was uh which one was that was that the one she did like five concern. years ago? it had lights out Seven and had that hit lights so, out yeah lights out oh my god yeah it was so good i think I our time it. played i think our time played in her band i'm not sure but that it was but it, it, yeah, she was she was really good but so here's the thing so sean lennon i i i heard sean lennon playing piano and singing one time at uh gold's at rick rubin's studio the one on sunset near uh where where brian wilson made pet sounds yeah and you could hear it like he was just sitting in a room playing piano singing it was fucking amazing but he's John Lennon's kid. Like, how's how, what a burden to carry. And I felt that way about Lisa Marie. She was a great singer, but like, all they're going to do is People Magazine, fucking Elvis Presley's daughter, Elvis Presley's daughter. It's a curse. I, I told this friend of mine who's a celebrity son who was a musician and he had a, had a band for a while and then it broke up and whatever. And he didn't know what to do. And I said, why don't you become a chiropractor? And he was like, what the fuck, you know, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, imagine like everybody, if, if the son of so-and-so becomes a chiropractor, everybody's going to want to go to that chiropractor. Like it's oh, way better God. to like exploit You're the being a celebrity him, son for something him. that, but all the, huh? You insulted him. No, because everybody who's, who went, his dad's the most famous musician in the world. If he fucking plays music, everybody's going to compare him to him. Yeah, but that's yeah, like saying, and, why don't you become a sign painter? You'd be the most famous sign painter in the world. I didn't say sign painter. That's like $25 an hour. I said chiropractor. Like, that's $150 an hour. Like, get something that, that you don't have a lobby filled with people that want to go to the chiropractor that's oh, so-and-so, the God. guy from, you know, the sun. <laughs> I love that you're just sticking with that. You know, you're just sticking with that. I don't know why days. I said, no, but this is like 10 years ago. I don't know why I said chiropractor. I, I just, <laughs> I, you know why? Because I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because, because Dr. John Shambodi, and you can look him up, is my chiropractor. He was my chiropractor. I don't, I don't need it anymore, but, but he's the greatest chiropractor. And he was the bass player in Elvis Costello's band. Oh and he's God. the bass player on My Aim is True. He's the bass player on on uh, on uh, 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 Allison. He was he was the bass player in Huey Lewis in the News, which was a band called Clover before they were called Huey Lewis in the News. And he realized, like, 
dude, I'm the bass player and I don't write songs. <laughs> I'm never going to make a living. Elvis Costello is going to make a living. Huey Lewis is going to make a living, but I'm not going to make a living. And he was young enough. I think he was in his late twenties to say, like, I got to figure something else out. And he became a chiropractor and everybody knows it. And, and he loves talking about it. Every time I've gone there, he's in Toluca Lake. Every time I've gone there, yeah, I talk about the uh, My Miami's True album. What was it like? He goes, you know, because he told me the whole story of making that record. They had never even met Elvis Costello. How about that? That album sounds so beautiful. It's got My Aim is True, uh, Watching the Detectives, the, the first Elvis Costello record with him on the checkerboard cover, and he looks like Buddy Holly. Yeah. My friend John was the bass player on that. And the band who was actually Huey Lewis and the News band called Clover, they had never even met him. The first day they met him was in the recording studio. And, and he started playing the songs that, uh, that CBS had signed him on. And they yeah. came up with those arrangements and that beautiful, like watching the detectives. It's, it's fucking it's amazing. It's beautiful, man. It's just like three guys and Elvis Costello and, and, and Nick Lowe, like fucking making a record or Jake Riviera making a record. And they yeah. made it in Sausalito up in San Francisco. It wasn't made in London or New York. It was made in San Francisco. And that had um, uh, red shoes on it. Yeah, it red, shoes. red shoes. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. That album. Oh, my just, God. It's such Dude, a great The band song. just met the guy the day they recorded. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. Anyway, so... Dr. Shambodi became a chiropractor. So, and, and part of why I go to him is because Elvis Costello. <laughs> so, you know, if your dad's in the Grateful Dead, maybe you should become a chiropractor. <laughs> oh my God. I'm not, I'm not saying who it was, but. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. It's awesome. a, it's so anyways, but it's so sad. And, and uh, I just wanted to, um, to say we need to talk to each other more. We need to ask. I mean, how do you inside people? How do you tell parents that you counsel and stuff like when their when their kids do commit suicide? I don't know if it's how do you deal oh, with the the counseling. How do you deal with the grief? Uh, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. I mean, what I is the protocol imagine. to deal with that grief? You have to you have to search out support groups, correct? I mean, with other parents that have gone through this. Right. Well, I mean, I think she had her mom. She had her mom and her husband and her other kids and and Benjamin's sister. So there was a there was a big family. There's a big family there. Like she had family support, and I think they were they were. I mean, I I don't know. I think that I I just went through it with a friend of mine a few years ago, and his son passed away. And I and at first, he, it's just like he was in shock, and he didn't feel anything. And then everybody's wanting him to feel something. So then, and he doesn't feel anything. So then, but then I said, it'll come. And when it comes, just let it come. And it came and, you know, and everybody's different. Some people compartmentalize. Some people are, my sister, my middle, my youngest sister, um, uh, her son died of drug overdose. And I kept checking with her like every couple of weeks, like, how are you doing, Susan? Are you okay? And she's like, yep. Yeah, I'm fine. I got so much support from my Naranon group, which is where all the sick that? parents, Narcotics Anonymous, Al-Anon. 
and they're all you know i i don't want to shit on naranon but or you know it's like is there it's okay Uh, can i just say this there is a narcotics anonymous alanon right called naranon yeah um and then there's alanon is okay because the chances of an alcoholic dying are very low the chances in this day and age of a drug addict dying are very high very high and so so naranon is dealing with death on a level in a way there's no way that Al-Anon is no fucking way. And I think it's the blind leading the deaf over there. I've, I've been to Narnon meetings and it's just like, yeah, they, they're one of their favorite terms is been there, done that, been there, done that. What? Like, what does that even fucking mean? A lot of th- these are, I, I used to go uh, oversee the Narnon group at Los Encinas and, uh, yeah, they would say "been there, done that." And like I'm, there was like I'd up walk out. I would just walk yeah. out at that moment. <laughs> well, be like, yeah, because okay. their sons go to this one woman who used to like be the guru of Naranon in Pasadena. Uh, her son had gone to prison, and she's very wealthy. And so, yeah, you know, that's what happens. They end up in prison, and you know, and da da da. Been there, done that. Been uh, there, done that. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> you know. So I when my it. sister said she was getting support. And 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 grieving from her Naranon group, I knew that was bullshit. Like they don't know how to grieve. They've been there, done that. Been there, there done has that. to be there has to be suicide <laughs> groups, right? People with parents. support groups, yeah. Support a lot, groups. There a lot, people good. have lost their children, right? But I mean, I don't, I don't know that she was going to go to that. But I I do think That's where I'd go immediately. I, you know, you can talk yeah. to a therapist. But it but she does say something that's really interesting. She said. I, you know, and I'm going to quote Lisa Marie right now. I got to go into my phone. Uh, she said something that was so profound about grief. She said, people will tell you you can process it and you can, um, and you can get over it. And I'm here to tell you, you can't. It's something you live with till the day you die. And that's, that's her quote. Um, I'm trying to find it. I can't get into my phone with this, but, um, and I just hope she found peace and I don't know what happened. And I don't want to, you know, but I just like what pain that family's been through. Oh my God. So love I love that her. she married, she not only married Michael Jackson, she married Nicholas Cage to complete yeah, yeah, yeah. juxtaposed. <laughs> so, so by the way, did Patricia Arquette, I think. Right. Uh, actually, they met after Nicolas Cage was grieving. I mean, you know, the, after they had separated. On the rebound from, yeah. uh, from uh, Lisa Arquette. Marie. Yeah. So he went from Lisa Marie to Patricia Arquette. Like he, eh, that's yeah. He's a strange bird. So, but I, I just want to say like love and, and fucking all on high to Lisa's children, remaining children and Michael, her ex-husband and and priscilla and what a fucked up thing what a fucked up thing we need to talk to each other more we need to be there for each other more we need to stop talking about nonsense okay peace out peace out don't die everybody and don't commit suicide don't die don't kill yourself we're gonna gonna include suicide okay bye